Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Pants Required podcast. I'm your host, Jen Mann. And today I am wearing jeans, like with a button and everything. I have some more fancy to be later, so I had to put on jeans. My guest today for this episode is Aaron Numata. Erin Numata has been publishing for almost three decades. She started as an editorial assistant at Simon & Schuster, then went to HarperCollins as an editor, and finally to Avalon Books as the editorial director. Erin has edited many authors, including Erica Jong, Brenda Maddox, Joan Rivers, and more. She has also represented New York Times bestselling cowboy romance writer Carolyn Brown, inspirational speaker Josh Schiff, viral content creator Tyler Merritt, skincare expert Charlotte Cho, and humorous Jen Lancaster, and humorous Jen Mann. That's right, Erin is my agent. So today I have joining me my agent, and her name is Erin Numata. And I, I hope I said that right, Erin. You'll correct you me if I'm wrong. No, uh, Numata. Numata. No one can pronounce it, not even me. Well, I realized that, you know, I met Erin, gosh, maybe a couple of two, three years ago now, I guess, but yeah. we have actually never met in person. We email, um, we telephone, but Erin lives way across the pond in England. You're still in England, right? Yep. yep I'm in <laughs> okay. England, in London. So, so she's in London. I'm here in Kansas City. So we've actually never met. And I realized that, you know, when I talked to her, I never use her full name. I'm just like, hey, Aaron, how's it going, Aaron? And then today when I had to sit down and record this, I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to say her last name, which is really <laughs> weird that I had not figured that out. So I am so sorry. And I'm so glad you're here and you're joining me today. Like I said, I met Aaron a few years ago. I had, I had, kind of parted ways with all my previous literary agents. And I kind of thought I was going to go on my own. And then I had this opportunity to write the book Midlife Bites, which will be coming out in January 2022. So pre-order it now. And I needed an agent. And um, I asked my friend Jen Lancaster, I said, Hey, do you have an agent that you like? And would you mind uh, introducing me? And so she introduced me to Steve Troja and to Aaron Numata over at Folio. And we have been working together now ever since. And I'm so happy that I found you, Erin, because I felt like I was going to write this midlife book. We had this idea. And it was so nice to have another woman who's been going through all the same shit I'm going through, <laughs> you know, who, because Steve, I think was sort of like, okay, if that's what you guys want to write, <laughs> you know, and it was so nice to be able to, to have someone that I could sort of bounce ideas off who was also going through all the same crap I was going through. And so thank you for that, Erin. I really, I could not, I, li I literally could not have done it without you guys. So thanks so much for that. I want to talk to you, though, about you. Like, I want to know who is Erin Numata. I know that you're an agent at Folio, but I think you have a lot more else going on. Like, how how did you get to Folio and how did, how did you become a literary agent? Because I think if I were not an author, I would want to be a literary agent, which is another thing I don't know how to do. So how did you do this? How did you get to where you are? Well, I, I've always been a big reader. I've always loved books. I've always loved writing. When I was in primary school, where there was a little library and the uh, librarian's name was Mrs. Sweeting and she was a lovely lady. I 
took, I rent, I, I t- checked out every book that they had, every fiction that they had in the library to the point there wasn't anything left for me to read. And she would hold fundraisers specifically to buy books so that I could read them. And I was infatuated with Enid Blyton and uh, she's a British writer. I loved all her books at Famous Five, The Secret Seven, The Naughty Books, all of them. And um, then, you know, I just kept that up for as long as I, I mean, I'm still an avid reader, but I always thought that I would be an author and I would write books and I would move to New York City and I would, you know, join the Algonquin table and uh, the ghost of Dorothy Parker. And then I got to New York and I realized I had to support myself. So I became an editorial assistant. Then I, I realized that writing a book is really hard when you have a full-time job and I had to make a decision. Do I want to be an author or do I want to be an editor? And I liked editing a lot more than I did writing. So I decided that was a better path for me. So I, I was an editor for, for years. I was an editor at HarperCollins and Simon & Schuster. I was the editorial director of Avalon Books, which was bought by Amazon and is folded into Montlake Books. Then I found a fella. I got married. And I was pregnant with my first child. And I called a friend of mine, Paige Wheeler, who is at Creative Media Agency now. And I was like, I want to be an agent. I think I want to make this transfer. She said, all right. She was forming a new company called Folio with partners, Jeffrey Kleinman and Scott Hoffman. And would I like to join their ranks? And I said, sure. So after I had my baby, I handed in my notice and I went to work at Folio. And that was 15 years ago. So I've been agenting ever since. And that was the path from liking books to being an agent and meeting you and now being here. <laughs> and how did you get to London from New York? Was that because of the boy you met or? Yeah. Yeah. The fellow that I met the, with the unpronounceable last name, he is a, his name is Foster Numata and he is a sports journalist for the Associated Press here in London. Uh, he covers all of the, you know, the, the weird Britishy kind of sports like cricket and rugby. And he, I mean, he covers just about everything badminton, you name it. When he goes off to the Olympics, he does canoeing and archery and all kinds of crazy crap. So it's been interesting. Yeah. He's from New Zealand originally. So he's really more British than, well, he's not American at all, but uh, yeah. So he was in New York and he got transferred over here and I came with him. And how do you like living there? Is it, is it, is it harder being farther away from your family and that sort of thing? Or do you like being there? Um, I, I actually love being here because when I was a child reading all these Enid Blyton books, they're all based in Cornwall and Scotland, and they're always full of castles and mystery. There were there mystery books, and everything in them were, was British. And one of the things that my family, my husband and my two children like to do is we always go off to castles and mansions and gardens. And we, you know, we see all the craggy rocks that I read about in these Enid Blyton books. And we take picnics just like the characters did. And I've always been a history buff. I was an English history major in college. So I loved it. And I love it. I love doing all that. And um, it's a lot different than living in the US. And it's taken I've been here for almost 12 years now, and I still feel like an interloper. (laughs) I don't think that'll ever go away. (laughs) You don't have the accent. No, I I, don't. No, no, I'm, I, no. (laughs) (laughs) Not not New Zealand, not British, none of it. No, my my husband has the New Zealand accent. Right. 
my daughter has a more British accent than my son, who has more of an American twang. But none of us have, out of the four of us, none of us have the same accent. We're a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> no, I always think, though, I'm with you. Like, I always loved reading those kinds of books when I was younger. I still love to read. Like, I love, yeah. like, historical fiction and all that kind of thing. And if it's set in a castle somewhere that's dreary, like, that's my favorite thing. Yeah. So I'm super jealous that you're going out on all these picnics. And I have a friend who's getting married in a couple weeks in Scotland in like in in ruins of some castle. And I'm like, oh, wow. I want another wedding. Like, I want to do that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, I, I have to say, it ain't too shabby. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you did all right. You landed in yeah, a pretty good spot. <laughs> you, you did you did okay well this okay so I was going through your bio and one thing really popped at me I want to know it says that you edited Joan Rivers oh yeah yeah way back in my HarperCollins days Long and time. I want to know like is she was she as funny like oh gosh I just think she's super funny she's my type of humor she's a little she's a little biting but she was really funny and she was so quick like were you able to like? Were you able to get to know her at all? And and is she was she that funny in person? Well, I only sat down with her once in a conference room to go over a manuscript with her. I mean, we did a lot of back and forth, and I spoke to her team and stuff like that. But sitting down with her one on one, well, her and and a couple of other people who were there, but I was the editor who was helping her, and we go over. It. She was a shrewd businesswoman. She went over things to see if they were funny. She would rewrite them. I mean, watching her work was, it was meticulous and it was calculated and it was excellent because she, she knew what she was doing. She was no fool and she wasn't flippant and she was there to, you know, focus and get this book done. But she was very nice and very funny, tiny, 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 tiny person. No, I'm not that tall. And I towered over her. But I mean, she was absolutely lovely to work with. You know, sometimes you work with uh, big name people, and they can be a bit difficult, but she was absolutely lovely. The funny thing is, we spent the entire day together, about six hours, and we went out for lunch and all the rest of it. And a week later, I was in an airport that she was walking through, and they were rushing her through the security. And so they passed me, and I was like second in line. They're like, you don't mind if she breaks through? And I was like, no, I don't. She she was saying, hello. You know, she was in celebrity mode. Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? She looked right at me, did not recognize me at all. And she's nice to meet you. I was like, nice to meet you too. <laughs> I guess I wasn't that memorable. Oh, well. Oh, well, yeah, I just, I've always, I always liked her red carpet, you know, kind of yep. riffs that she did. I just thought she was such a funny person. And I'm not surprised at all to hear that she was very focused and determined. And you have to be, I think, to be. Yeah. To get to when that you get point. to that level, I mean, every she she went over every word. She wanted to make sure it was perfect. Yeah, she, I, and that kind of work ethic is how you get to be Joan Rivers. So, right, right, yeah. yeah. Darn it. Okay, I was hoping it was just <laughs> luck. Okay, so so I got to get to work. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh. So um, another thing that I read about you was that you collect Jane Austen memorabilia. Is that right? Is that not memorabilia? Just novels. Her novels. Um, if you if you look up over here, yeah, you see a bunch of them. The I don't, I don't. Some of them might be Jane Austens, but I have about fifteen of them now. I just bought another one in Scotland. Uh, the oldest one dates back to 
1882, I think it is. And the the most recent one that I have is from 1973. I, 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 they have to be re- either really old or they have to be inscribed by someone or they have to be a special edition of some kind for me to, to, to buy it. Like there's the Folio Literary, Literary Society that published a bunch of books here and they did these beautiful illustrated books and I just bought one of them. It wasn't Pride and Prejudice. I forget which one it is, but it's up there on the shelf now, so. But I don't have my glasses on, so I can't read it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was sense and sensibility, but we'll know, we'll know after we hang up. <laughs> right. Do you think that – Do you, so here's my question for you. Like as an agent, as a, as a person who's been in editing and, and agenting and you're been, you've been in the literary world forever, like do you think that, that Jane Austen, do you think she's like – Chicklet, women's women's fiction. What is she? Rom com. What do you think? What would she be today? Literary fiction. Literary fiction. Literary women's fiction, because it is based around women, and I think that you know I'm I have a master's degree in creative writing, and I'm currently getting my doctorate, and my focus is on the evolution of women's fiction. So, you know, women's fiction is a big deal for me. And I think what makes women's fiction is it's not just, it's a a journey of growth for women emotionally and so on. And I'm not doing very good at defining it right now, but Jane Austen's books, they are a journey. Pride and Prejudice is the most famous of them all. And it is the Bennett's sisters who are all looking for husbands. A story like that today, if there were five sisters who were looking for husbands, it would not fly. So right. I, I don't, it wouldn't be chiclet. And I don't know what it would be. <laughs> no, and I, I think it would be wildly panned and old fashioned. But the reason why I like Jane Austen so much is, you know, her stories fit her time, uh-huh. but the way that she writes is absolutely beautiful. And her stories are masterpieces because they really deal with the, the emotional journey of the protagonists. And that I think is fantastic. And it's probably why I've read all of her books over and over and over. And we'll, well continue they, to do that. Right. I mean, her stories are just, you know, they're, and I like her wit. I think she yeah. is, I think it's, a, she's incredibly witty and she can really turn a phrase and turn it and, and turn an insult. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm always down for a, for a good backhanded insult. <laughs> so I think that that's, that's kind of fun too. But I wanted to know more about, okay, so the evolution of women's fiction, like, mm-hmm. so meaning, I mean, cause I feel like, well, and maybe I'm crazy, but I just think like so many times, especially when I came out of like, out of writing nonfiction humor. Okay. So like when people are like, oh, what do you write? You're like, oh, nonfiction humor. And they're just sort of like, huh. Like that seems strange, you know. I can't tell you how many times like men will say like, "Oh, is there is there money in that? Can you can you have a career in that? Like, does anyone read that?" <laughs> you know. But yet, you know, David Sedaris is a huge like, like he yeah. leads the pack, you know. Of this, yeah. so I guess. Do you think that like people kind of discount women's fiction? I think you know. I just went to the bookstore yesterday, and it was just there was a whole table full of just you know book talk of from books that are going popular on TikTok right now that are all mostly women and 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 young teenage girl fiction. And so right. I just feel like we're not really getting our we're not getting our due here. We're not getting our credit. Like what? No, am I wrong? When I, <laughs> or when am I, I just sensitive? People, 
No, no, I think you're absolutely right. And this is one of the things that I'm talking about in, in my dissertation that, um, when I tell people, they're like, what, what do you represent? And I'm like, fiction, this, that, the other thing, and women's fiction. And I say women's fiction, and they immediately say, oh, you mean those raunchy romances? Almost every time, and it's usually a man. And I'm like, uh, women's fiction romance is one component of women's fiction. And, you know, erotica is another component of women's fiction, but erotica can, you know, go into commercial fiction depending on what it is. I was like, there are many nuances to women's fiction. I think it's sad that we even have to have a category that says women's fiction to separate it from the other, because a lot of men w- read women's fiction. And I, I, I think that it got a bad rap. The fiction itself, the novel, was created to entertain bored women in the 18th and 19th centuries. It was to give them something that was morally okay for them to read and to entertain them. And it was mostly written by men who used the women characters as models for how they wanted women's society to work. So they were always chaste and uh, virtuous and made the right decision. And if they didn't, you know, they were cast as the bad guy. And as time evolved, and I I like to credit uh, Virginia Woolf in her book, I think it was in 1912, I forget, A Room of Her Own. She talked about how women need their own space to find their voices to speak their truth. And from that truth will come books that are real. And that kind of changed everything for women's fiction. But, you know, especially in the last, I'd say, 30 years when I, because I started 30 years ago, September 30 years ago in publishing, women's fiction really wasn't a category. There was romance, and then you had nursery romances and commercial fiction, but everything was more geared for the male buyer. But women make up more than 60% of all book buyers, so it's only natural that they would be you know, catered to, at least I think they should be catered to. You would to. think so, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Why wouldn't when, you? Well, there, I mean, there were, they started coming out with these real characters, uh, like The Color Purple. That's one of my favorite books ever. And then there's Toni Morrison's books, The Bluest Eye, and so on and so forth. I mean, these were real women characters with real struggles that people had never read about before. And they were brilliant, you know, so people started, then, then there's uh, Margaret Atwood who came out with The Handmaid's Tale, which is still huge. I mean, she came out that where it was written in the eighties, I think. And uh, from there, things started happening and then it started to take off. And when Helen Fielding published Bridget. Bridget Jones' Diary in 1996, it created an entire subset of chiclet of a realistic woman in her 30s, you know, who drinks too much and has real problems and is working. People loved it because they identified with it. And now you have all of these things. Chiclet is, they don't really, it's not really a category anymore. It's been absorbed into other things. It's more rom-com and mom-com and, you know, all the Bridget Jones women's got married and started having kids. Now they want to read about their real new, their new thems. So it's so much more than just romances. And oh, yet, yeah. Nobody. Well, to me with Bridget Jones, what I loved was her friends. I was, you know, sure, Mr. Darcy was great, but like, I wanted a friend group like that. Like I wanted those, those loyal, crazy friends that you could hang out with and complain about life. And I didn't have that. And I remember reading that book and just thinking like, 
yeah, Mr. Darcy seems fine, but I really want these friends. <laughs> like this is who I want. And so to me, like that was I I love reading books about like the relationship between like different women, their friendships and yeah. sisters. I would love to read a book about the Bennett sisters, but just about how the Bennett sisters get along with each other. Cause yeah. You know, with all those different personalities, like forget about it. Like I've always thought that would be interesting. Like my grandma, she's one of seven sisters, and it's always interesting. Well, oh, now wow. most of them have passed away, but yeah. But when we were younger and we'd get together for these family reunions, reunions, I remember just like watching them and taking notes and thinking, like, this would be an amazing book to write about all these different crazy sisters and all the paths they've taken, and you know. And as a reader, for me, that's what I would want to read. But I well, don't know. Is agent, there a market I, for that, Erin? <laughs> Does anyone want to read that book? It's like, does does anyone want to read that book? Is anyone interested in that? (laughs) Right? Aaron's like, I got that. No. So, okay. So there's MomCom. I heard you say MomCom, which was kind of, I've just learned about MomCom. And believe you me, I'm going to research that one. But is there like, is there a middle-aged com? Like, can, can, you know, I'm seeing more and more women asking for fiction. Like there's, quite a bit of nonfiction now, I think like geared towards sort of Gen X and 40 plus and that kind of thing, women. But like, is there fiction where there's a 45 year old main character woman going through her midlife crisis or whatever she's doing in life? Yeah, there's, there's a, quite a few of them. The one that's jumping to mind right now is where'd you go? Uh, what's it called? They Bernadette. Made it, where'd Bernadette. you go Bernadette? Yeah. Yeah. You know? That that seems to be the leader, but they've they've been around, and uh, I wish I had the list of books that I could read out right now. But um, there are some women. There are women who have midlife crisis. Who most of them leave. Some come back, and some don't. Right. But there hasn't been anything really that is about the moms or the midlife women, they don't have to be mothers, you know, they could be married, they could be single, they could be anybody, just the struggles that they go through. I remember we were, we were having a meeting with a publishing house and there was a guy in it. He was an editor. I'm not going to say which one it was. And this was years ago. And we were asking them, what do you want? And they asked us, what, what do you have and everything? And I mentioned a book that years ago that I was taking on and it was a woman and I was like, middle-aged, married with kids. And this editor rolled his eyes. He goes, this is what I don't want. He goes, nobody wants to hear about middle-aged women struggling. <laughs> and, I, and I just smiled and nodded as, you know, uh, uh, you're supposed to do when somebody's saying something terrible and you don't want to be awful to them. And I thought, I will never submit anything to you. And I want to represent these books. So mm-hmm. I'm going after middle-aged writers. And I have uh, most of the fiction, my fiction writers are middle-aged women writing about that audience. Well, I was going to say, I've noticed, I think I have at least two friends now th- that have signed with you recently, and they're both middle-aged ladies writing fiction. I've, I haven't seen what, they've, what they're writing yet, but I know that that they're that they're working on something that's aimed yeah. at us. So I'm excited yeah. to see what they do because I do think, you know, I, I run this group on Facebook. I have a private group called Midlife Bites on Facebook. And we have like, I think I have like 27,000 women in there at this point now. And we talk about books a lot because I read a lot and, you know, and it seems like I attract people who like to read. And 
I can't tell you, I mean, probably once a week, someone's just like, hey, does anybody have a recommendation for a book where the the main character, she's like in her 40s and she's just kind of getting through life and and people are just drawing books and Bernadette always comes up. And that, but Bernadette, right. I mean, I don't know how old that book is, but it's already been made into a movie a couple yeah. years ago. You know? So it's at least 10 years old. Yeah. And it was a great book and I highly recommend it, but I just think we need a few more. Like I really do. Because I think, you know, the thing I'm noticing now, too, is that like our age group of women, like I think like our moms and stuff, like they were still willing to read about 20 something ingenues and, you know, 30 year old women, maybe even like, you know, getting through life. But now it's like, we want to read about ourselves. We want to read about the same struggles that, that we have. So I hope the publishers, because, you know, you were saying earlier, like erotica and romance and, you know, kind of how people kind of poo poo. And, and again, I have a ton of friends who write that too. And, those readers are voracious. So if, you know, if you've yeah. got to, if I, I wish I could write a sex scene, because like be all over that, you yeah, know, that's I, the thing. I, I don't think publishers understand sometimes like who's reading books. Do Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I think that's a problem. Uh, uh, publishing is doing very well, by the way, it's not suffering at all, but I, I just think that like I said, with my doctorate, you know, it's a slow evolution as to what people will print because they go with what they know. Yeah. And as these books come out, like Where'd You Go, Bernadette, uh, Bridge Jones Diary, and so on, that kind of break the mold a little bit and, and create a new path, more and more of these books will emerge as long as they are successful. So right. uh, keep your eye on this space, because I think that there are a lot of books that are coming out soon that are, you know, women, middle-aged women starting over, new romances, new careers, new everything, because that's the world we live in. And that's the world a lot of people want to read about. Yeah. Even if you're, if, if you have no intentions of starting anything over, you'd like to watch somebody else do it. Well, I think that's it. Especially fiction. It's such a, it's a fantasy. It's a place to escape. You know, it's not, it's not a how to manual. It's just, I just want to go live someone else's life for an hour or two and then I'll come back and do my laundry. There is one thing though, that I know no one wants to read. Okay. No one, no one wants to read anything that's set around COVID and the pandemic. Interesting. Surviving it, being in it. It's, I had a book that was it, women's fiction. It was talking about starting over because her, her marriage fell apart during, you know, lockdown and how she, you know, found love again. And half the people that I sent to the editors were like, I can't, I can't even, it's too close, too, too soon. soon. Can't do it. Can't do it. So she's rewritten the entire book to take the pandemic out of it because it's a brilliant story. It doesn't need the pandemic to, uh, to stand on its own. Right. But, uh, and I'll, I'll all of the editors that I spoke to were like, I can't do anything pandemic-y, lockdown-y. I can't even do it. I don't even want people having masks. I want normal, normal, normal life. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe in like 10, 15 years after we've gotten through it, maybe then they'll be ready to to talk about it. it is, yeah, because – and it's hard because I, I was trying to write Midlife Bites while we were locked down. I was trying to finish it. And and I felt like it just – as a writer, like it just – it it colors everything you write. Like it's just, it's always there. It's just part of it. And I did have a chapter about it. And my editor, Pamela, she cut it. She was like, no, she's like, "Mm -mm, I don't want this. And I was like, oh, but, but that's what we're going through. She's like, right now, 
but who knows, you know, who knows where yeah. we, we need this book to stand for, you know, 20 years. So now yeah. <laughs> get rid of it. So I did, but I just, but I thought, well, it's just, it's so influential at this point. It, it's just, it colors everything I write and everything I feel. Yeah. So it's yeah. really hard. Well, okay. 20 years of since nine 11 and there are next to no movies, stories, nothing fictionalized out there at all about it. It's been 20 years and it is still too raw. I too never raw. thought, yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, there's tons of, of course, documentaries and yeah. true, true, true life stuff, but yeah, nothing is in. No. Interesting. Okay. Nobody wants to read about, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody starting over from that because it's too, it's unfathomable. Just like lockdown. It's just too terrible to revisit in any way. Okay. I guess. Yeah. So break all the rules, but not that one. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially. Because that's the other thing I think. I think so for me, like, like I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to talk to you about stuff like as a, I guess, like as a writer, right? Because I always have questions about like, well, what's, what are you reading right now? Like, what are you, like, what are you looking for these days? Like what's coming up? What's next? What should we all be working on that you guys want to see? Basically the same thing all the time. I want really interesting stories, excellent writing with, with great characters. I see so much. I get so many submissions. I'm closed queries right now, and I still get about 20 submissions a week anyway. But you know, I get a lot of the same thing over and over again. But you can always tell when something is exciting just from the... Because I always say, send me a synopsis and send me three chapters. And the synopsis tells me if it's a good story or not. And then the three chapters lets me know if you can write it. And if I'm writing something and I get excited about it, then I know it's something unique. Um, I never read anything that comes into me. I have people who take all of the queries that come to me. My assistant, Maggie, she farms them out to different people and they read them and reject them or ask for more pages. By the time it gets to me, it's got a chance. And I say to them, I say to everybody on, on my staff, all my readers and everything, don't say yes to it unless it is so good, you're excited about it. And when you stop reading it, you're thinking about it three hours later. I was like, that's what I want you to bring to me. And those are few and far between. But if I had it my way, I would have somebody write a story about seven sisters who all were had unique lives <laughs> based I, on a true story of their grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'll get started on that today. I hear you. <laughs> And if you're listening to this podcast, I've already started it. So don't start it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> don't get in the bag. You know, I always tell people because I, I do write a lot. And I tell people, like, if I hear a good story, because I always write nonfiction for the most part. So if something great happens or I hear a good story that someone's telling me, I'm, and if they're a writer too, I'm like, you have 24 hours to put that into writing and claim it. Otherwise, it's mine. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you know, so it's already started, everybody. <laughs> your, your 24 hours are up. I'm on it. <laughs> Well, I love, I absolutely love historical fiction, but I don't represent a lot of it because it's so particular. Yeah. I like, I love Sue Monk Kidd 
And some of her books, I think, are fabulous. And she writes from different time periods. Her last book was, uh, you know, in the BC era, I think, you know, 2000 years ago or something. I didn't read the whole thing that I I haven't. I have it. I just haven't read it yet. You know, I I love her characters. They're so rich. Uh, And I love his like we were talking about the castles and all the rest of that. I love things like that, but I ha- I don't represent any yet, but I am looking. So if any, you know, the seven sisters falls right into that category. <laughs> it's not really historical, but sort of. No, I don't think I would make it. I'd actually probably set it more modern day because I wouldn't even begin to understand their lives. You know, they grew up during <laughs> the depression. See, that's the thing. Like if I'm going to, again, like maybe if I'm going to write historical fiction, like it's going to be about, you know, a castles in Scotland. And I mean, like, I'm going to have to go live there for like three years and really figure out what it feels like to live in a castle before I can even begin. Like there would be so much research before I'd even get started. That would be just pointless. <laughs> and then finally I'd be like, Oh, never mind. I'm not going to write this book. So no, they grew I'm, up during the depression. So I'm definitely not going to go back. Yeah. There. That's, that's a tough era. I yeah. was, I was just in Scotland a few weeks ago and we went to a bunch of the outlander you know, the series, yes. the sites, like the cat, their house and uh, stuff like that. And I was like, I, now I could see it. this is inspiring. I was like, I want something set in Scotland, but everything that's set in Scotland right now in that time period just harkens back to Outlander. So how do you Oh, make I it bet. Fun? I bet. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's such a huge series and it's so influential. Like you can't, you can't, again, you can't, you can't do anything without thinking about Outlander. You know, you can't go to Scotland and not think about them. So Good for her. (laughs) She she did a good job with that one. So when you said you got a lot of queries and you have other people read it and, and so by the time it gets to you, you're, everybody in your team is excited about it. And, and so that's sort of, and so for me, like what I always hear is like, like I have, I don't know that necessarily I tell a good story, but, or that I'm like a good writer, but like I have a strong voice and I think like, and so I think like voice is, is like, for me, that's what I'm always trying to tell people. I'm like everyone. And maybe I'm again, correct me if I'm wrong. You have a lot more experience in this than I do, but I feel like there's like 10 stories that everybody tells. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like how we tell it and, and what our interpretation on that, especially in nonfiction, you know, coming out of the mommy blogger world, like we all told the same stories. It was all the same struggles. And now again, writing about midlife, it's all the same struggles. We're all going through the same things. It's more just your point of view on it. Do you think that's true? And, and, and how you present it. Some people are natural born storytellers and some people just tell stories better than others. So you, and some people have more interesting stories than others. I, I hate to say, but you can have a great story and not be able to relay it well. That's why, uh, you know, especially with narrative nonfiction, if it's voice driven, that voice has to be funny and smart and relatable and interesting that you have to the pacing some people just can naturally write at a good pace and no comedic timing when to drop the punchline and so on that is something that is you're born with it Uh, you can learn it but still you know somebody who has to learn it that's a mid-list writer somebody who just has it that's that's a front list writer like you 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 have a natural knack for saying things and you say things a lot of people would like to say but don't it takes gumption you have to be you know determined and tough to say what you feel and mean it 
and and say it succinctly so that people identify with it and laugh at it and uh, think you're terrific. So kudos to you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm still there. I'm still working on it. We'll see. Well, I'm still eh, meh. Well, it's, it's like working out. The more you do it, the better you get. And Agreed. if you slow down, you lose it a little. So. And I think that's any any genre of writing. I think anybody, yeah. you go back and you read the stuff you first started writing. The only thing I wish, though, as a humorist, I do wish I still had like my old, old, like my childhood writing, like the stuff right. I wrote when I was a kid that I thought was important. Because, man, that would be a hilarious, <laughs> that would just be a hilarious series to write <laughs> and kind of come up with. Because, man, we thought things were so so important back then that we're not. <laughs> well, I, I kept diaries. Of mm-hmm. all, somebody gave me one for my ninth birthday. So from my ninth birthday up until my 20s, and then I kind of stopped, I kept journals. And I found my first diary, this pink diary with a lock that doesn't work and the flaps broken anyway. And I opened it up and, you know, I have a vision of what my childhood was and who I was as a child. Very different than what I read in the pages. I was like, wow, I don't remember any of this. Who's that? I didn't remember half the people in the pages. And the things that I taught, I was like, what? I was quite negative. I don't remember being negative (laughs) as a child. I was like, I don't think I like me. (laughs) I'd open up mine mine and find like hearts and clouds and, you know, unicorns. And, you know, I love my life. And I'm like, no, I didn't. (laughs) I was miserable. Well, I thought it'd be fun to show my kids what I was yeah. like when I was their age. And then I decided maybe that's not going to work in my favor at all. So, <laughs> Oh, I just, I think it would be so funny. I love that when you listen to like the moth or something where people get up and read like old diaries and stuff. I'm so jealous that I don't have those anymore because oh, they would be so good. They would be so good. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? Who? What do you have coming up? Anything we should be keeping an eye out for? Well, yes, I have two books that are coming out September 14th, and both of them I'm extremely excited about. The first one is by a man named Tyler Merritt, and his book is called I Take My Coffee Black. That comes out September 14th. Tyler, you might know, he did a, a video called Before You Call the Cops, and it was several years old, but it went viral last year during hashtag Black, T- Black Lives Matter, and it went viral, and it, he was absolutely everywhere. And we've written this book about him growing up Black in America. It is brilliant. It is funny. He is such a wonderful person. I mean, he is, I just love him so much, and his book is so fabulous. And the audio book is, is fabulous, too. So there's that. And then there is Anna Lind Thomas. Her book is We'll Laugh About This Someday, and it is essays about being a mom. She's a mom blogger. She's very popular. She is wickedly funny, and she is fearless. The cover of her book is absolutely hysterically funny. I don't have a copy of it here. I'd hold it up. But, you know, she's got her mascara down here and her hair is blown all over and all the rest of it. And it just talks about the messiness and the wonderfulness of being a mom. It's great. So they're both coming out. And of course, I I represent Carolyn Brown, who is a women's fiction and romance writer. And she's, I think her 107th book is coming up soon. She's got, I mean, half this bookshelf is Carolyn Brown and her, her books are wonderful. She writes a lot about all of her characters, usually uh, middle-aged women. 
There's lots of stories of sisters. She's got the sometimes sisters, the empty nesters. Uh, the list goes on. The wedding dress, on and on and on. Her wonderful books. And she's got one coming out in September, and I don't remember the title of it. Shame on me. But you know, that's 107 books. It's hard to keep track. I think yeah. I'm gonna say it's pretty safe to say if you just Google her, you're gonna find her. Yeah, it sounds like she's everywhere. Yeah, she's she's New York Times <laughs> bestselling author. Yeah. and uh, USA Today bestselling author, and so on. Man, 107 so, books. I'm thinking like how I don't even know how you do that. Okay, well, good for amazing. I think I'm gonna. Ha- I need to talk to her. I think next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you should. She's wonderful. Yeah, and funny. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. No, I want to talk to her. She sounds. Great. Okay. Well, I know you're. I know you're close to queries, but let's just say someone just wanted to follow you just because you're a very nice person and they enjoy, you know, talking to you and hearing from you and hearing talking to you about books or hearing what you think about books. Where would they follow you? Well, I'm only. Uh, I closed for queries for the summer so I could get through because there were so many. I was getting a backlog, so I closed so I could get through them. So I will be opening up again soon. But I'm on Twitter as uh, E C Numata. That's N I U M A T A. E C Numata, and I'm on Instagram as Agent Aaron Numata. Okay, we'll find him. Find her on both. If you are. A, an, a person who would like to be represented someday by an agent and you're trying to figure out how to find an agent, the best thing to do is to follow them on social media and interact with them so that they see you and that they get to know you. Because I yeah. can't tell you how many times I have done that. And and when when my bio says that I am repped, they will... St- you know, an agent will still kind of reach out and be like, Hey, are you happy? Like, are you, are you still repped? <laughs> you know? Are you, is everything going well for you? And, and cause that was a really funny thing you said, or a really interesting thing you said. So that is a great way. If you are maybe thinking about querying, this is a great way to figure out who to query and, and who you, who you kind of, ju- who you gel with, because yeah. I think that the, you know, I, I've always said it's like dating kind of when you haven't, yeah. you know, you're trying to, you kind of date your agent a little bit to figure out which, which agent has the same vision you have or, or not even vision. It's more just sort of the same plan for the future. And then same thing with your editor. You're always kind of trying to figure out who you, who you fit in with there too. So it's always good yeah. to follow these people on social media and kind of see what they're looking for. And especially for someone like Erin, who kind of opens and closes and she'll let you know on social media when she's open again, because I'm, I'm closed for queries, but I just did a mad pitch on Twitter anyway. Oh, Uh, those are fun. Those are really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I I want to do a whole episode at some point of just how to get, how to find you know, an agent and an editor and get, get a deal because there's so many opportunities like that. That's just great. So, and and, you know, if I see you, I mean, there are people that I know only on Twitter that I've actually represented them when they were ready because of being on Twitter and, and seeing them around. And also people have followed people that I follow on Twitter and become friends and then were recommended to me. Like you've recommended some people that uh, came to you through social media and other avenues that I've actually signed with. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got you from another client yep. who, you know, so word of mouth and who, you know, gets you to the front of the line. It's not a guarantee, but it at least gets you to the front of the line in, in front of editors. And right. Agents. Well, it's like any other business. It's like, you know, use those networks that you have and use those connections that you have, you know, Jen Lancaster is the one who recommended me to you. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jen has always been 
a person who is very helpful to me and, you know, and, and gives me all kinds of great advice. So, but yeah, I think lean on those people. And I think that as a writer too, you kind of, I know now sort of what you're looking for. I know sort of what my editors are looking for. And so if I, you know, when someone comes to me and I'm like, oh yeah, you should definitely, you should definitely use my name and talk to Aaron. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or, or sometimes I'm like, actually, you know what? I don't think that's a good fit. Try this other agent. Cause I, I, I follow and respect a lot of agents. And so there's just a lot of people out there that I could recommend. I, you know, I throw them towards. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's, there's oftentimes where I love something and they've submitted it to several agents. Like I was just in, we call them beauty contests where she had six offers of representation and, you know, we all put our best foot forward and she, she chose the one she wanted to go with. She did not choose me, but that's okay. So, and I was disappointed because the book was brilliant and I'm not going to say what the name of it is because I'm just that bitter. <laughs> Someday. Well, you know what you should do though? Cause I do think this is nice. Cause I was, I was in a beauty contest a few years ago and I chose somebody. Well, actually, no, it was for midlife bites. So I chose, I chose you guys. And, um, right. and so when the announcement went out on, what is it like publishers weekly or what's, what's the yeah. thing where you guys announce? And yeah. And one of the agents who I had not chosen, who I did like a lot, she sent me a note to congratulate me and, and oh, said, nice. you know, I, I, I wish you great success. And so I thought that was really sweet of her because, you know, she wasn't bitter because <laughs> it's not personal. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it definitely isn't personal. And, you know, there's, there are people that who used to be my interns or my former assistants who I now am in competition with. And if they win over me, I'm like, good for you. This it's, it, the bottom line is what's best for the book and the writer. If something is that great, it's best that it's well represented by somebody and put out in the world for the world to enjoy. It's not, it's not about me and a beauty contest. <laughs> so um, I don't care. And you know what? There, others will come along. Right. You can't represent them all. So. You couldn't. You could. There's no. not enough time in the I world. Try. Yeah, especially when you, especially when you have Carolyn Brown ready in 106 books. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? we worked together now 22 years and 107 books. That's crazy. I'm. I. I can't do math fast enough, but I know that's a lot of books a year. So wow. it is. Well, I was her editor first, and then I became her. Agent. Yeah. Good yeah. for her. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Erin, for coming on today and chatting with me. I had so much fun and I'm going to get to work now on my Seven Sisters book and <laughs> I, I I can't wait to hear your feedback. <laughs> You'll be like, what the hell is this? This is not what we talked about. But, Go back to narrative nonfiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what else you got? So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Be sure to follow Erin on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you can't find her, let me know. I'll help you find her. So thanks so much, everybody. And uh, thanks, Erin. I really appreciate this. I'll talk yeah, to you soon. Yeah, it was fun. Bye. Thanks, thanks for listening and subscribing to No Pants Required with Jen Mann. Don't forget to follow me on social media and subscribe to my newsletter at jenmanwrites.com. My newest book, Midlife Bites, Anyone Else Falling Apart or Is It Just Me? will be out in January but it's available for pre-order everywhere books are sold.